0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Shane White Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Routine. Routines become a part of my daily routine, funny enough, and their proprietary product, Morning Routine, is my favorite. When you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, really just from sweating and expelling vapors. So when you wake up in the morning and you grab that cup of coffee, well, what do you do? You're already dehydrated, and then you're dehydrating yourself even more. I am someone who, you know, coffee is something I tend to go to first thing in the morning. But now I go to morning routine. Morning routine comes in single-serve packets that contain half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. I wake up, I pour these little packets into my morning water with some pre-workout. I combine the two. And I get going with my day. I get rehydrated. It helps kickstart my metabolism. I feel great. You can get yours at yourroutine.com. And if you guys use code SHANEWHITE30 at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein, they're gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contain only one gram of sugar. These things have become a staple in my house when I need something or just really honestly want something. When I'm ready to cheat on my, my diet and I want to grab something but I don't want to totally fuck it all up, I'll grab an Elite Donut. Elite Donut, they're high in protein, like I said, low in sugar, low in net carbs. They're a great, great snack when it comes to wanting something sweet, but you want something delicious. You can get yours today at either EliteDonut.com or my personal favorite on Amazon. If you get them on Amazon or EliteDonut.com, the discount code ShaneWhite30 will work on both sites, and both are good for 30% off. All right, folks, enjoy both routine and elite sweets. Before we dive into today's episode, today's guest is Jennifer Barney. This is a cool episode for me. She's the founder of Barney Butter, which is a a really healthy nut butter brand that you've probably seen at your local grocery store or wherever you shop for food. Barney Butter was one of the biggest, earliest players in this space. And during my time at RX Bar, I remember we looked at Barney Butter quite a bit when we thought about bringing our own RX Nut Butter to market. So we finally did. And Barney Butter really was one of those key competitors um, that we put ourselves against. So Jennifer is best known for being the founder of that. She's also gone on to do all kinds of really interesting things. Um, she has a newsletter that I highly recommend. She also now runs her own consulting businesses, help own consulting business, excuse me, helping the next generation of of food brands, beverage brands, and CPG brands as a whole come to market. So she's got a ton of knowledge. Love getting to catch up with Jennifer, and uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right, folks, without further ado, give it up for Jennifer. All right. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Everyone who's listening, I am pumped today to have Jennifer Barney. On the ep- on the podcast, excuse me, uh, Jennifer. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, Shane. It's great to be here.
0: Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, would you mind giving all the listeners, the audience, just a little background of you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Jennifer Barney. I am an advisor and a consultant to startup brands in the CP- in the CPG space. Um, I started my career in food as a um, founder of an almond butter company called Barney Butter. And um, I went on to uh, run innovation for a big CPG company. And then I went out on my own about five years ago and created my own consultancy. Um, And I live in the California Central Valley. So I live where all the almonds are grown and a lot of dairy farms, a lot of row crops, a lot of specialty crops. Um, And I also enjoy kind of bringing um, ag and food together and kind of bridging the gaps between um, value added um, agricultural products and how those products can better, um, how the relationship between the farmer and the processor um, to the maker um, can be, uh, you know, better for the, the, community, better for the environment, better for ultimately the business model. Um, So that's what I do.
0: Very cool. Very, you have such a cool background. I think you've done lots of different things, but always in the food industry, which I think is just unique and interesting Um, for everyone listening. And and I'm sure people listening who've heard of, I'm sure people have heard of Barney Butter. Would you mind going back to that? I would love to learn. I would love to learn a little little bit about the beginning. I know I, I told you this before we hit record, but at working at our X Bar, definitely when we were bringing the Nut Butter to life, Barney Butter was one of the brands that we paid close attention to and looked at your guys' positioning and pricing and everything. Um, Would love to just know the beginning. Like, where did the idea come from? Was that your first endeavor into food? Did you know anything about food before and then? Just like how it all started.
1: Yeah, sure. I um, love to tell you the story. So, uh, you know, no, had no background in food. Um, I had, uh, been in banking. I was a small business banker for at Wells Fargo bank. Um, so I was somewhat familiar with, you know, kind of, um, how to run a small business or at least what the financials look like. Um, but not in food. And, um, I actually, um, was a stay at home mom at the time that I started Barney butter. I had left banking because I had had four kids in four years, no twins. So I was quite busy at home. And my husband and I were living in the Bay Area. That's where I'm from. So, um, you know, we had access to a lot of, you know, cool uh, grocery products because we had a Trader Joe's and we had a Whole Foods. And, um, you know, I was into kind of the early adop- adopter. I was an early adopter of the natural foods, you know, um, back in the, in the mid, mid to late 90s. You know, I was uh, buying like that cream top like Strauss family creamery, you know, milk, um, which isn't homogenized and, you know, things like that. I, I, I wasn't, you know, a hundred percent like crunchy granola organic person, but I definitely, um, you know, was mindful of what I was feeding, feeding my kids. And at that time, there weren't a lot of like kid products that were, you know, geared towards, um, that demographic. So there was a lot of making my own baby food, a lot of making my own Toddler food. And by the time my kids were kind of able to like, you know, bite into a sandwich, um, I was looking for something better than, um, the traditional peanut butters that were on the market and there. And there really wasn't a lot to choose from, you know, certainly not at conventional grocery stores, um, whole foods and Trader Joe's had an almond butter. There was pretty much just this one brand Maranatha and, um, you know, you open up the jar and there'd be a lot of oil at the top and you'd have to stir. And, you know, sometimes it wasn't super fresh because, you know, God knows at that time how quickly that was turning off shelf. Um, But anyway, I uh, just thought, you know, why isn't this better? Why isn't this tastier? Why isn't it easier to use? There's got to be a better way to make this. And right around that time, we had moved to the Central Valley. So um, my husband um, had kind of... uh, gotten, gotten promoted, um, to run the Central Valley, uh, business banking. And, um, I had no idea that moving three hours inland, what a change that was culturally, um, community wise, uh, you know, this is, this is the breadbasket of the world. This is where 80% of the world's almonds are grown. This is where I think a majority of the produce of America is sourced from, Um, you know, California is an, is an ag uh, economy state. And I, I don't think, you know, everybody thinks everybody that lives in, in LA and San Francisco thinks that it's technology and technology certainly is important and, and, you know, very transformative, but, um, but, uh, you know, our economy is for in California is, 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 is it lives and dies by ag. And I had, I was one of those people that had no idea. So we moved.
0: I did not know that either.
1: Yeah, no, it's super significant. Um, in fact, we are a larger dairy state than Wisconsin. A lot of people don't know that either. Wow,
0: really? I didn't yeah. know that.
1: Yes, very important. Yeah. So uh uh specialty crops mainly in California, obviously a lot of tree nuts, almonds number one, is number one. Um, and so when I moved here, you know, and I'm making all this, you know, healthy natural food or whatever, um, we moved in a neighborhood where it was like we were surrounded by almond farmers. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I was at a dinner party and I asked um, this almond grower, you know, friends of ours, I was like, why aren't there better, you know, almond products at the grocery store? And he kind of looked at me and from there I just started getting bags of almonds. And I started experimenting making, you know, almond better. And I had no idea there were different varieties of almonds and, um, you know, there, some have a little bit more fat than others. They taste different. They're different sizes, all kinds of different things. Anyway, I was, was just making something for my household is what I was doing. And, um, you know, I realized that if I made it a certain way, kids would eat it. So, because, you know, the regular almond butter that I was buying from Trader Joe's the kids didn't prefer. If they were exposed to, speak, to Skippy or Jif, they wanted Skippy or Jif, you know, it's just yeah. smoother and and easier on, you know, to chew and all of that, it wasn't grainy. Um, so I was determined to basically make Skippy was, was what I was trying to do. And it was sort of like a, a personal challenge of mine. And so what I discovered is that if you blanch the almond means you take the skin off and then you roast it lightly. Um, you get a product that looks like Skippy in terms of it doesn't have any specks speckles to it. You can get it very smooth. Um, and then the challenge was at the time, uh, you know, uh, having to stir oil at the top of uh, of a jar right. was like nobody wanted to do that. Even 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 if you were into net healthy foods, I, I very rarely found anyone that thought that that was an acceptable use of of, of a product. Um, so it was, how do I make this stable? How do I get the oils to not rise in the, in the jar? Um, and I wanted to do it naturally. So a big, uh, you know, derogatory claim back then was trans fats. If you recall, I the do remember big, that. like no trans fats era. Um, so yeah, I just kind of went a little crazy with, uh, food science and discovered, um, you know, Uh, studies that had been done using palm oil as a, uh, homogenizer, you know, at the time, palm oil did not have negative connotations as it does today. Um, and I obviously had no idea about, um, deforestation or, you know, the source of palm oil being, um, problematic for consumer products. Um, and it was perfectly acceptable, and it still is. I mean, you can find palm oil in a lot of natural products at, at Whole Foods Market and other natural stores. Um, and now there are sustainable sources of palm oil, but anyhow, at the time, that was kind of the answer to um, how to stabilize a product without the use of trans fats. So it was not easy. It required a ton of R and D. Um, I learned how to do it on the bench, but quickly realized that that was not something that I could sustainably make at home. So it was either somebody else is going to have to figure this out, and I'll and I'll buy the product, or I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do it. So so I literally created a product to market for market that I your, wanted to sorry, solve was your, the problem.
0: Got it. And sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Was 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 your goal right at the the get go? Like you you mentioned to the almond farmer you asked why there wasn't a better product from almonds on the shelf. So it was your goal when you were messing around in the kitchen, was it to eventually have a product for grocery or were you just trying to make something for your family at the time?
1: At the time, I was just trying to make something for my family. But once I realized that this was not something that you could easily achieve, making it one batch at a time, um, that the idea came into my mind. Well, actually, this is what happened. What happened was I was making it a jar at a time. <clears throat> And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do these, like, I'm going to try to make as much as I can one night just to like, not have to do this again for another month. And then I would like give one away as a gift or something. And then that person would say that they wanted another, that they wanted more and they would pay me for it. So for Ah. example, um, the lady that gave my kids tennis lessons, the day she came up to me and said, I would prefer that you paid me in almond butter instead of cash, I was like, okay, nobody wants to be paid in, in like a, a food item instead of when you're better than cash to somebody, yeah. <laughs> then you're onto something. Wow. Yeah. This happened, this happened over and over again. So that that point is when I realized this could be a business. Okay. but I had no understanding of, of how.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're doing all this food science just on your own. I'm guessing you were just kind of figuring it out. or you just using the internet and like, what else did you leverage to try to understand, you know, the food science side?
1: Yeah. The food science side was mostly academic. So, um, uh, journals, uh, uh like, um, the, you know, uh, the university of Georgia had done extensive studies on the use of palm oil, peanut butter. And I just found that by Googling.
0: Okay. Um,
1: yeah, the journal of food science. And then I, you know, I reached out to the professor who had done the study. And when you do that, they're so thrilled to hear from someone because they hardly ever get a chance to apply their research in a practical way. So,
0: um,
1: you know, I got a lot of help from him. Um, so yeah, that, that was the, it was all very much just, um, uh, I guess self, uh, researched.
0: Got it. Okay. And when you, so you, you get the validation, love that. That's exciting. That's a quite the way to get validation too. What was your initial step when it goes to selling? Did you start kind of selling it, you know, for lack of better words, door to door to friends and family at first, did you launch a website? Like what were some of your early, early ways of distributing the product?
1: Yeah, the early thing was no I got into a retail store. So I did um so you got to think this was 2006. Um you know, I did have a website but there was no there were no good e-commerce so that it just was so early at the yeah. time, right? Um I mean, I don't even think that Shopify existed for sure I don't think so. So uh Amazon in 2007 brought me in, Um, they didn't really have a grocery uh, strategy at the time, but they were testing out, you know, grocery online. Um, And so I was brought in very early then, but, but of course that was a year later. So, so initially I got into one local store um, and I just thought, and it was really just, it, again, it was very much like people wanted to buy it from me. And I I couldn't make it jar by jar, so I had to go to a a packer. I found somebody locally in town. Uh, you know, a lot of it was co- coincidences. I, I would say good luck. Like, okay. I, I would you know buy almonds from someone, and then I would find out that uh, from the from a distributor that. You know you this guy next door over here has um, a, a, an a, you know a, a mill you know basically the equipment that you need and then I would meet with him and it turned out that he used to make the private label almond butter for this grocery store called Wild Oats, which got bought out by Whole Foods um, in the early 2000s. Um, You know, just total coincidence, like, how how in the world, and and he was from Colorado, like, Wild Oats was not even based in California, he happened to be out here for a different reason. I mean, there's just no, you can't, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't really make this up, right? Sure, yeah. So, I think, you know, overall, uh, it's a combination of being at the right place at the right time, um, taking the opportunity to make something out of these happy coincidences and pursuing, you know, those opportunities essentially is what it was because I almost was like, uh, the feeling that I had at the time was, um, okay, this, this isn't really going to work, but maybe it, maybe it'll work. So I'm just going to kind of pursue the next step. I always kind of thought to myself, uh, if this, you know, if I had to quit this tomorrow or if I could not make it one more day, I'm not going to risk anything more than I can handle. And, and that's really the way that my husband and I kind of initially seeded and funded the company, which I think is a really great perspective because today a lot of founders are, you know, and very rightfully so excited about their product. Um, they've got something different that the world, they think the world needs or wants um and they're willing to work really super hard but sometimes sometimes what i think is lacking is like okay measured risk you are either using your own money or you're going out and asking to use somebody else's money and if it doesn't work out you have to live with that and you have and for yourself and for the and for the investor right so um you know, I would say without the knowledge that I have today at the time that was in the back of my head, um, what money are we going to put into this? That if we lost it all, it wouldn't be devastating to us and we could live with ourselves.
0: That's a great perspective. Yeah. And how did you guys, how did you and your husband kind of think through that? I mean, what was it really just looking at, you know, your guys' situation and just being like, Hey, this is, if we wanted to use this for fun money or to start a business, either way, it's, if it's gone, it's gone type of thing.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what we did. We just, we just kind of, um, you know, I, I, I knew enough to put together, you know, a, a kind of just a basic PL. and yeah. just to understand, you know, once I, once I established with the co packer okay, now you know what it's going to cost to make a unit, right. And what's a minimum run. So you can, you can kind of create what's your unit economics and, you know, it's just kind of common sense at that point. Um, you're estimating what you think you can sell at a certain time. It's a lot easier with a shelf stable product, because if you've got inventory sitting, you know, I mean, you're out that cash, you're just, you have an asset, but at least it's not perishable or at least not for a year. Um, so, you know, so you've got some, some leeway, I would say, uh, to sort of, take some risk with, you know, with, with a limited run and then go, okay, now, now I'm going to try to sell this and see how long it'll last. So I, yeah, I got into one little store and I immediately did a demo. I didn't even know what that was. They asked me to do a demo and I looked at them like, I don't know what those words are. (laughs) Um, Oh, oh, a sampling. Okay. You know, so, you know, I went and bought a little cart, whatever, did that. And everybody in our community was so excited that somebody was doing something with almonds.
0: Okay. That I yeah. got
1: a lot, there was a lot of, I mean, I, I really can't claim that all of the excitement had to do with the product itself necessarily, or anything to do with me. I think that, you know, almond farmers, obviously Blue Diamond had existed for a very long time and Blue Diamond was a brand. So, and Blue Diamond had, had tried to do actually nut butter for a, an almond butter. They weren't, they weren't totally successful in that category, but obviously they did. They, and they were very successful with Almond Breeze. That came later. Um, oh, but, okay. yeah. um, but, but they were a known brand. So a lot of almond farmers sell to Blue Diamond. And they're, they are a co-op. They're the largest co-op. And, and they do have a marketing division. And they do things under their branded label. And, and, and that's great. I think to have somebody else come in and do something something different was very exciting to the community. So that was the initial, I think, groundswell around it um whole foods has a local program they still do today so you can go to your local whole foods you don't have to be in unfi and you can you know get in under their local program that's what i did um so whole foods was the number two nice. store they they, they they brought me in and and again did a demo was you know the number one grocery item of the week and then that gets the attention of all the other whole foods so the, pretty soon all of northern california whole foods want the product so it just sort of went step by step like that. and, and yeah. And I do think today it's just kind of the same way, at least mm-hmm. for retail.
0: I remember at RX, I joined when I joined in 2017, it just felt like every day it was like a domino. It was like dominoes just kept falling. Like you get a few big ones, a few key, really just a few key ones, not even big ones. Um, it just seems like, yeah, it seems like it's kind of how the retail game works. You, you get a few that work and then it just seems like they all start calling. So yeah, that's really cool. And it, when you were getting into these first few accounts, even like Whole Foods, for example, were you, at this point, were you kind of doing this full-time? Like, is this like, uh, you're all in, you're doing this full-time or you're still a, you know, you're a mom with, with young ones too. So how are you handling just that dynamic of like starting a business from scratch and being a mom and, and, you know, raising a family?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, it, it definitely was like, I would work during the day when they were in school and then, and then I would not work. And then I would be mom, you know, from two forty five until you know, pretty much like bedtime. And then I would work again um, until my bedtime. Uh, so definitely um, not full-time, in the traditional sense, but putting in a lot of hours at night and stuff like that.
0: Got it. So and, working, and, and, and especially
1: so when we created our own manufacturing facility. So that that's the whole another aspect is I went from a co-packer to um, getting investors And which were my almond farmers. So my, my partners, my first partners actually were my suppliers and, um, we created a manufacturing facility. They basically handled all of that. They were operational. They were operations. Um, and, and I was sales and marketing and that was, um, something that, uh, was like, now I was running kind of running two businesses. Um, because I would go to basically work. I would, I would go to the facility in the morning. I would drop the kids off at school, go to the facility. Um, we were always running production early in the morning if we were running um, that day. And then um, I would you know leave at whenever pickup was um, and then do the same thing. Essentially the same thing, except for that being a manufacturer and me being the person to open up in the morning and being there. Present for the people was much more like, okay, now I'm, I'm the boss and I'm, I'm, I'm running something serious here and there's paychecks that have to go out. Right. Um, and that, and that's a very different model than, okay, I'm buying a finished good from a contract manufacturer. Um, and maybe, you know, eventually you do have employees, but they, they aren't associated with the production of, of your, of, of your of your product. Right. Um, so that's all on the expense line versus above the line, which is part of cogs. And and when you're responsible for everything having to do with cogs on the labor side, as well as the expenses, it's, it is kind of like running two businesses.
0: Oh, I bet. Did you end up having someone manage the facility at some point? Did you, or did you like, did you do We both? did. Yeah, we
1: had, yeah, well, we, I mean, we had, we hired a production manager. There was a production manager, you know, so everything having to do with food safety and procurement and stuff like that. But um, it was still really early days, you know, so, uh, there were still, we were still trying to figure everything out. And, um, and so there was just a lot of, I would say it, it never felt like I could just step away from production. I was always involved.
0: And were you guys at that point? Cause I've actually never, I've never talked to somebody who was doing the co-man component and then switched to doing their own. Um, was there just a a point in time where your the co-mans you were working with either had issues or couldn't keep up with your, your scale. And you just, you kind of realized that it made more sense to bring it in house and create your own.
1: Um, it for sure had to do with, with the nature of the partners that I, that I brought in. So because they were, they themselves were almond processors and manufacturers already, they had a blanching facility. They had what we call manufactured almonds, which is they could dice, they could slice, they could make meal. Mm. Um, what they didn't have, were, what they did not have butter. Um, they couldn't make an almond butter. So to them, this was just an extension of their already existing vertical integration. Ah. Um, we did create our own facility that was, uh, because we were a separate entity. Um, it wasn't part of their, um, on-site manufacturing. In other words, we leased a space that was downtown. So it was in a in a, you know, in the city of Fresno, it wasn't in their town, which was outside of Fresno. Um, and it, so we very much managed it like like it was its own business. But for them, it was natural for them to um, put together equipment. They, you know, they had their own machine shop. They had their own welding. Um, they were very, they were very, very good at knowing how to uh, how to you know uh, erect uh, a line. Um, and, and essentially do kind of, um, um, equipment integration.
0: Got it. Um,
1: so that, that, yeah, so that part of it, but, but to answer your question about why leave the co-packer, in addition to having partners that, that very much wanted to control, um, and be vertically integrated, um, my co-packer was, um, not, a peanut free facility, and that was something that was important to me at the time.
0: Okay. Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Um, it was hard to find anybody that was, it didn't exist. So, to be an almond only facility, the only way to do it was to go out on, on our own.
0: Wow. I'm sure that was quite a jump. Was that, like, if you think back to your whole story with Barney Butter, what was like your biggest challenge, would you say, for someone who's thinking about getting into the food industry or starting a brand? Like, is there one time in that, in your history of that, that just stands out as like a, just the biggest hurdle you overcame?
1: Oh gosh. Um I think the most relevant thing for for folks today is um you know once you once you've tested your product market fit and iterated to the place where the design of your product is optimal and you know that now it's just a matter of executing this across the country the problem becomes one of of investment and Mm -hmm. who your partners are, who your investors are, um, getting the right amount of money at the right time. So everybody worries about not being able to raise and, um, and being able to raise, you know, again, like being able to make it to that next milestone so that your next raise again, comes, comes at the time when you need it. So I would say without really being able to probably articulate it at the time, now looking back, that would be, I, I was extremely lucky to have um, partnered with Almond Farmers because at the time there was no investment community for for CPG. That was hmm. just such an early time. If you think about the brands that um, had been acquired by corporates, because that was just beginning, right? Um, you know, one of the early ones is Annie's that got acquired by General Mills, Kashi that had been acquired by Kellogg's. Um, these were the early, early natural food brands that were getting kind of visibility, you know, with um, you know big food and, yeah. and corporates. But, but there, there, there weren't funds. There weren't uh, CPG focused. Funds, um, access to capital is not what it is was not what it is today. So while today it's very competitive because there are so many new brands um, and the space is very active, um, there's still money out there, and investors are looking for solid founders who have products that are in categories that are growing, you know, and it's and it's still happening even with a supply chain issue, even with, you know, investors being a little bit skittish about, you know, the markets, the, you know, the global issues around supply being, you know, coming from obviously the war, you know, and COVID, um, there's still tremendous opportunity and there's tremendous activity.
0: Got it. No, I love that. That's a, that's a great tidbit for anyone listening. And then next to a hurdle, what, what would you say is the, just the one thing you wish you would have known uh, before getting in? And, and sometimes I, that question comes from, obviously I think being naive sometimes about things you get into is a blessing in some ways, right? Like I think sometimes people would, would stop before they begin if they knew some of those things, but maybe what's like one helpful thing for people listening that you learn that maybe if, if you would have learned it earlier on would have been helpful.
1: Yeah. Hands down gross margin.
0: Okay. I I, I did not
1: understand. Yeah. I did not understand what, um, what the business model needed to look like. So, so although I had an understanding of what a profit and loss statement needed to look like, I knew what a balance sheet needed to look like. I I mean, I, you you know, ultimately you have to make money. Right. Right. And you know, that with scale, you know, you have certain efficiencies. So those basic concepts I understood, but I did not understand the importance of gross margin. So, you know, the industry has certain, um, especially with with retail, you're not controlling the the direct distribution, right? Um, there's just certain metrics you need to factor in, in terms of above the line, you know, um, and you understand this um, yeah, of course. probably better than most. Um, you know, you have to factor in for trade spend. You have to factor in for sales, discounts and allowances. You have to factor in for all of these things. Then you need to look at what your conversion costs costs are. And you need to be able to predict what those are going to be over time with volume. Um, and a lot of mistakes happen there. So I wish I did understand. Um, j- just be- I think a lot of people make the mistake that uh, with volume that your cost of manufacturing will go down and then they don't make the adjustment at the top for moving into more conventional markets how okay if you're very successful there will be other entrants into the space
0: yeah
1: and all of you will drive price to some equilibrium so, when, so if you start at a premium product and you're in the natural and the premium space, okay, at a certain uh, price point, in order to succeed over time, you're gonna eventually become a conventional product. You will eventually move into that conventional product space. And then there will be price compression. Mm-hmm. So where you may make it up in, uh, where, where you may make up some margin in conversion cost, you will be compressing at the top end. Therefore, uh, it's best to assume that your margins really won't change um, overall. And what that what with without really having that understanding, I think um, bad projections make for um, disappointing results, and then if your business model hinges on, you know, that you're gonna suddenly make huge improvements in gross margins, um, you, you're, you're gonna not only disappoint yourself, you're gonna disappoint your investors.
0: Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding gross margin, understanding the PL. I think sometimes people uh, want to know or or maybe just get a little confused with how it all works, but it really is the the lifeblood of a successful, profitable business or not. Right. And I think getting that unit economics right at the beginning even though that can take some time and maybe to understand or to figure out or to improve it is key right if you get if you don't start off with strong gross margins from the start you're kind of doomed to fail unless you can make changes later on which is even more difficult than at the beginning so that's great advice um so jennifer we're starting to get close to the top of the hour And there's a couple questions i love to ask every founder i have on here because i think i think founders just in general have have great answers to this the first one and you've already talked about just in general what what it was like um starting Barney Butter when you did at that point in your life. So for you you obviously you were starting a business, you eventually were almost running two businesses with a production facility, you had kids, a husband, you're running a family. What did you what tools, tangible tools did you use to keep track of everything you had to get done, to plan out the goals for the business, just to get keep track of everything and at the end of the day just get shit done? Was it, you know, pen and paper, apps, what what is your like go-to tools to getting things done?
1: Oh my gosh. I don't even think I'll waste a second telling you what I did then because <laughs> what, the, what I did then and what there, and what there is today, uh, there's a whole, there's, there is a slew of new tools out there for people to use. There are a lot of services and a lot of tools that never existed 15, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. I, I mean, I will say I was very, uh, it was just spreadsheets. I mean, there, okay. there were no like templates that you could download. I mean, not, not specific to our industry. And I think that's the key is absolutely my, my advice would be avail yourselves of, um, you know, third parties that have, um, you know, whether it be on the sales side, whether it be on the finance side, demand planning side, um, there are a lot of wonderful resources out there. Um, and for not a lot of money, mm-hmm. you can essentially customize and or create something for yourself that works, um, you know, wh- whether it's software-based or, but, but still, yes, keeping track of things even on a, even on a spreadsheet um, is extremely, extremely important.
0: Okay. Spreadsheets. I love it. You know, it's funny. I, I'm in spreadsheets all the time, but I really haven't. I guess I use Google Sheets. Me and uh, me and my business partner use our Google Sheets re- religiously. That's, I guess, the same thing. So I'm with you on that. Um, the second question is source of knowledge. So whether that's podcasts, books, I know you have your own Substack. What is the you know, most frequently uh shared source of knowledge that you tell people about, whether it's about entrepreneurship or just in general, something you'd love to share with the audience today?
1: Um yeah, I mean I think it's really important to um uh be part of a community and um and there are so many so you know for sure sign sign up for the newsletters with all of the basic ones like Nosh um food business news, Sofland brief, you know, specialty um food association. So, you know, New Hope Media that puts on Expo West for example. Oh yeah. Um and then of course, um the fancy food shows put on by, you know, specialty food business food association. Um you know, get definitely get onto those newsletters and then depending on what community you live in, if there's like a local version of the Naturally um, groups like Naturally Boulder was the first one. The one out here is Naturally Bay Area. There's one in Austin. Um, they're you know, popping up everywhere. For sure do that. Um, you know, whether you are ready to maybe in, uh, apply for an accelerator or an, or an incubator, um, you, you, know, you may or, or may not do that, but um, certainly engaging with them and being part of their news. Um, because yeah, it's super helpful to read other people's stories and learn about what, what is going on in the, in the industry with other brands that are kind of breaking out.
0: Definitely. Oh yeah. I know. I love, I'd love always staying up to date on just brands doing big things. seems like it's every day there's someone doing something exciting. So definitely those are great, great tools for anyone listening. Um, the other thing I wanted to to mention Jennifer, we didn't really get into it but your consulting business, you mentioned it at the very very beginning. Uh would you mind just telling everyone just a real high level what that is and and how people could get involved and in touch with you if that's something they're interested in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um I uh, you can you can get a hold of me, uh, you can ping me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Barney. Um uh, my website is thirdinbroadway.com. Um, I write a weekly newsletter called The Business of Food. It's on Substack. So you can just look up Jennifer Barney Substack or The Business of Food on Substack. And um, yeah, I mean, the services that I provide are anything from advisory all the way to consultancy, which means um, advisory can be, you know, I'm working with you for a couple of years and, um, you know, from the very, 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 very beginning um, or anywhere along the line in growth. Um, and, uh, that is very much general and helping in all aspects of how do we position the product, you know, everything from helping you get investment, working out your business model, creating your pitch deck, what's your plan, what's your go-to-market strategy, what's your pricing architecture, just a general advisory and putting resources to you, right? Networking, introducing you to the right people at the right time to help you. Like you would ask me, what tools do you use? Okay. You know, let's interview these three, um, you know, services to see um, like what you do, Shane, you know, um, Amazon, you know, setting up your e-commerce correctly. um, Having somebody manage that for you, you know, what are the founder strengths and let's fill in around your strengths so that you're using the highest and best use of your competencies. And we're, Hiring out for those other things, so that's what I do in my advisory. My consultancy is similar, but it would be more like project based. It'd be like, hey, you know, um, you know, we already have advisors, or we're not ready for advisors, and you know, we need um, help with a brand refresh, or we need um, help working out this this business model, or uh, we already have a platform and we want to go into a different platform. We're thinking about a new form for our products. That we need a lot of research done on, you know, what the ingredients would be, what the price would be, what the costs are, who are the co-packers. So I've, I've gotten involved in that. I've gotten involved in organizational management. What are our next hires going to be? And we don't even know what those people should be doing. And should we be hiring a very high level person and then we'll fill in underneath them? Or should we be hiring a lower level person and then we'll hire like a VP on top of them later and here's our budget? So kind of working all of those things out is common stuff that comes to me.
0: Got it. I love it. It sounds so fun, to be honest. Like, I mean, I get fired up about this stuff, as you know. Um,
1: it's super fun.
0: It's just fun being with young, hungry entrepreneurs. I think it's the best. So that's awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you for the time today. This was a blast. I'm sure we could have talked for two more hours about all the different cool things you're doing. Uh, we'll make sure we add all those different things to the show notes. And so people can find you and can find your business. And again, thank you for taking the time. It was awesome to learn more about your background, your story, and appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you, Shane. Awesome. Thank you.